Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 1st, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, our final show before Election Day 2020, November 3rd. Um, big show tonight. We're having uh, one of our favorite guests, our favorite pollster, one of the best pollsters in all of America, Tom Jensen, in about 20 minutes. We're also going to make some predictions later in the show. Um, but I guess this show's just gotten so big that the Super Spreader Tour came to town right where we're emanating from in Tim's Congressional District. And, and I can actually hear at times uh, the goings-on since uh, – Unfortunately, and I don't mean for this for this rally, just any time, I live closer to the airport than I would like to. Um, Catherine, we won't talk about necessarily all about this this uh, you know this event, but just in general, there's been a ton of activity. People going everywhere, tour buses going places, people doing sketchy things to tour buses. Uh, more activity than we've had in this entire pandemic plagued campaign. What are your thoughts about these final days? Well, it is pretty frantic, isn't it? There's, you know, so much going on. That uh, that bus situation on the highway in Texas was really frightening. I've been on a highway where bus where I was I was traveling from Ann Arbor, Michigan, to Chicago once during a uh, truck strike, and they were like cornering people on the highway, and it's really frightening. And it must have been really frightening for those people in that bus. And so outrageous of a, you know, stunt to pull, really more than a stunt. Um, but, yeah, everybody's just, you know, scampering around. It's, it's really kind of um, amazing to be in Georgia. We have, you know, uh, Vice President Biden was here this week. Uh, of course, President Trump is here tonight. Kamala Harris was here today. Um Former President Barack Obama is going to be here tomorrow. Uh, it's and and I think I heard a rumor that Jill Biden was going to be back here at some point too. So um, it's kind of fun to be, uh, uh, you know, swing state or whatever you're, they're calling us. Um, kind of fun. I mean, it's not fun for someone like you who's got to deal with all that traffic. I haven't had to deal with it because, of course, I'm stuck at home. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see this, you know, uh, the president going to all these places that you wouldn't expect he would need to be, uh, you know, courting votes. But I still, my premise is that he wants to go where he's greeted uh, and um, adored, and that's where they're sending him because that makes him happy. Uh, I don't think he really needs. I mean, I. 
I don't think all the places he's going are necessarily the best strategic places, but I think it's where he wants to go so he can they can adore him. What do you think? Now, Catherine, I heard the hurt okay. in your voice that you did not mention Mike Pence, and I know you feel slighted that Mike Pence has not made a stop in the state. Um, so I, well, I'm, I'm feeling for you, Catherine. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where he's at. I mean, he's like a Where's Waldo. They don't even mention him. Um, <laughs> even Melania yeah. Trump gets a high top building over him. Um, Tim, I don't think you came down across the county line to see the super spreader tour, but you've been following it on the news. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, actually, uh, I was supposed to come down there today, but not to that, but to another event, which had to be, because of all the hubbub, uh, canceled. We won't uh, get into that right now. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm proud to be huddling in place in my house and not having to come down there. You know, I was thinking while – um, y'all were talking that this is we've been on so long that this is the fourth presidential election that we've talked about on our show and uh, of course we've never seen one like this did you guys ever think in your lives that we would turn on television the television late in the game and see a president doing an event in Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska, out there chasing electoral votes, uh, Catherine went through Georgia. I mean, it's been many years since this state was contested. Look at all the trips they've made to Texas. Texas. We have been talking about Texas for years. Maybe this will be the year. Maybe this will be. Maybe this is the year, guys. Uh, the the electoral map may be about to you know, rewritten. And Donald Trump, let's face it, David, is is less than a mile from your house <laughs> for uh, the reason that he is really, really, really playing defense. He is going to deep red districts uh, like the middle of the 14th. You're trying to gin up his base to get him out to vote. Uh, I think you were right what you told me earlier this week that is probably a waste of time because any Trump supporters that are registered to vote are probably going to vote. And I don't see where he's going to get any extra votes by coming to, you know, Russell Field down there uh, in Floyd County. But, you know, like I said, he's just flying all over the place right now. But look at where they go. Look at where they're at. The Democrats are in red states, and so are the Republicans. So that's how it's going, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you how close they are. I actually could pick out, even though I have a headset on, uh, I can hear Queens, we are the champions playing at the big rally. Um Interesting t- choice of music uh, at his rallies, by the way. Nobody likes him that he yeah. plays. And they won't play Lil Wayne. I mean, he endorsed his platinum plan. I mean, I'm sure those Trump people would love some <laughs> Lil Wayne. Little Ice Cube, little 50 Cent. Man, they would be all about it, those Trumpers. Instead, he keeps playing these people that don't want to be played by Trump. I wish I could DJ those events. I would have some fun. Um, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, 
you know, honestly, he really, if he wanted to get votes of people that I guess are on the fence, the way to do it would probably go back to the White House and work on the nation's problems. You know, remember in 2008 when uh, both Barack Obama and John McCain closed down the campaign for uh, a few days, and we've got to work on this, this, you know, nation's economic problems. Well, we got conceivably worse economic problems and a health crisis and, and people that, you know, race relations crisis, all kind of crises. And, and if he were to actually work on some of this, and, and you know, he could say, oh, firsthand, I've had COVID-19 now, and, and I see it so real, and, and we're going to work on it and cut out some of these rallies that he doesn't get anybody with. And like I was telling you all before the show, I saw it coming through. I saw it yesterday when I was out and about. There is a Grateful Dead aspect to this. And what I mean by that is there are a bunch of people that look like they were parking in the Braves uh, single-A franchise parking lot, parking in different abandoned little places where the Piggly Wiggly used to be and what have you. They were not from Rome because they'd have a house. They wouldn't be parking in the parking lot sleeping in the car. They're following him around the country or following around the region and coming to see him and whatnot. These people are either, A, so hardcore in his camp they're going to vote for him anyway, or B, and I have a sneaking suspicion, I've seen the Jordan Kleffer videos with these people. I don't think a lot of them are registered. I, the, the, we have a lot of non-voters in our country and I think a lot of his base, his hardcore go-to-the-rally base, they're just not registered mm. to vote. So I don't know what he's doing. You, you, you know what it might be? You, you what? saw what happened out there in Tulsa. You saw the empty seats in that arena. The Trump mm-hmm. campaign certainly did not want a repeat of that for the television cameras. I believe, uh, basically, a lot on what you just said that they may be bringing a lot of people in yep. to make sure that the venue is full. Don't you think? Yeah, and I don't think they're having to bring them in like you know paper in the house, if you will. I think this is just more a you know these people have started to follow them around at the end of the campaign. I, I don't know. Um, it, it's just I, I get this sense because I, I, I put some pictures on Twitter. So everybody can see them. And all these little shops that popped up, all these little tent stores with the flags with him on Rambo's body, and this weird obsession with throwing the Confederate flag on something with Trump. I mean, I hate to tell mm-hmm. all these these ex-Confederates out here, but Mike Pence is from Indiana. Donald Trump is from New York. Joe Biden's from Pennsylvania, and Kamala Harris her family wasn't even around here. Um, you know, they were from India and, and Jamaica when the Civil War was going on. She's from California. So you ain't, ain't nobody on your side in this. Uh, you know, the last two people that ran for president that w- were from the Confederacy were for Bill, were Bill Clinton and Al Gore. And you probably like either one of them anyway. So whatever. You know, all, all this <laughs> weird Confederate flag crap, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> you, you, your people are not in this fight. You just want them to be. You're projecting. That's what that's called. Now, by the way, y'all mentioned Texas, and I want to talk about Texas. This early vote, 
100-plus percent of the people that voted for Texas in 2016 have already voted in this election. You know, we've had more than one um, Texas expert come on in the past several years, and they tell us Texas is not a red state. Texas is a non-voting state. Remember hearing that more than once? Mm-hmm. If that's not the case, what happens to Texas, Catherine? I, I am I am shocked by that. I've been shocked by some of these uh, early voting and absentee voting um, statistics, and Texas is unbelievably shocking. Um, you know, I I'm very hesitant to uh, be overly optimistic, but I think that bodes well for us. Uh, I do. Uh, But I'm also very cautious. Yeah. Tim, you saw the numbers too. I mean, Houston alone has been absolutely just crushing it in turnout. And that's the fourth largest city in America. Um, What do you think goes, goes on with Texas this time? Well, uh, very obviously, the major cities and their metro areas are driving this massive, massive turnout in a way that just, you know, we've not seen in modern times in in this country. We've not seen anything like this. Um, And I I know that there are a lot more Republicans voting as well in rural counties. They're probably over-voting some. But what is going on in, like, Harris County, where Houston is, um, is just amazing, something amazing to see. They they showed it on TV an hour before early voting was to end in Texas. And there's a huge line of mostly young people uh, going in to vote like in the city of San Antonio or somewhere. It, it, it was it was amazing to see. And what has happened as a result, we're talking about Texas as a toss-up state, right? I mean, that's where we're yeah. at now. It happened in a hurry. Nobody saw this coming four years ago when Trump won Texas by nine points. Well, here it is. We, we're talking about Texas as a toss-up state and Democrats getting on TV like Beto O'Rourke just last night said, listen, I believe we're going to win this state. Who would have thought that, you know, four years ago? Nobody. Yeah, we have a lot to, a lot to thank Beto for on that, on that regard, I think. I mean, I think he yeah, got people fired up in, in Texas, and he deserves our, our, um, our thanks. Yeah, and, and we'll have a chance after this election to talk about, you know, where the Republican goes from here, the Republican Party goes from here if it's as bad as it is. But let's talk about how many places they're playing defense. Because they took back Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, those are now states, if Joe Biden goes after him, he's playing offense. He's playing offense in North Carolina. He's playing offense in Georgia. He's playing offense in Arizona, Texas. Iowa, Ohio now. He's going to Ohio tomorrow. There's so many different paths. Um, Catherine, what would kind of be your thought at the 
you try to attack all of them, or do you you figure out a, a methodology of how to get to two seventy plus at the same time looking at a governing coalition? I think it's really tough. I think um, you know, I, I think Biden got some criticism this week for going back to Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, but I think he needs to keep those voters engaged and remind them that he's with them. I think we saw a lot of criticism of Hillary Clinton for not doing that in 2016. But I think we're very fortunate that we have some really great surrogates for uh, Joe Biden, especially President Obama. Um, Everyone is so happy to hear from him. And he's been so uh, um, kind of off the cuff on some things. Some of the things he said have been really funny and um, and authentic. Uh, so I think that that's the the way they're going to have to do it is like spread the spread these surrogates around. Get make sure Kamala's out there and um, uh, President Obama. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't heard more from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Bernie was here um, over this past week, but he wasn't really stumping for Biden. He was talking more about the the issues that are important to him, which is fine. I mean, I think that's good for Biden, too. Um, So I don't know how they – I don't know how they – it must be a um, real challenge to look at this map and say, okay, where do we go? What do we do? What's the best option? What are the best options? Where do we need to shore things up, and where can we go to expand? So in two days. Well, Tim, before I get your thought on that, I want to tell you, uh, apparently I can hear somebody yelling. Um, It sounds like a pro wrestling interview, somebody with about a second-grade vocabulary. (laughs) Donald Trump built the wall. That was what I could take out of it. So we've got some real high-level discourse going on. Over there, there. Yeah, all right. so thankful, Jim, I'm so thankful it's you listening to it and not me, by the way. But what happened with Trump? Most presidents get elected and win barely. They tried then to build a coalition in preparation for their reelection. And Donald Trump never tried that, never tried to expand his coalition. Therefore, when he started looking at expanding the electoral map this year, he was left with basically maybe three Democratic states he could campaign in, Minnesota, New Hampshire, and Nevada. And and that was it, whereas with Biden, as Trump's poll numbers dropped, all of a sudden, here comes Arizona. Here comes the whole Great Lakes region. Here comes back Pennsylvania. Here comes Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Iowa, Texas. The second congressional districts of Nebraska in Maine, the road just opened up for him. It was almost like there were too many places to be at once. But what it presented was about, oh, I'd say one chance in 10 for Trump to have a pathway to 270 electoral votes and the other nine out of 10 for Biden. So, you know, that's what Trump's faced. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what I would do. 
I would look at the low-hanging fruit to get me to 270, and I think Michigan and Wisconsin fit that bill. I mean, he's had multiple polls recently leading double digits. I mean, Michigan, a poll today, looked just like the national poll. And then after I figured out how to get to that 270, I'd say, where are the Senate races and our key house races? Mainly the Senate, I'd go there. That means I'd go to places like Georgia and um, Iowa over places like Ohio. But now we're going to talk about numbers. We're bringing in the expert. Again, from public policy polling, I don't know how many times, but I don't think we've ever had you this close to Election Day, and we're so happy to have you. Welcome back, Tom Jensen. Hey, good to be with you all. Yes, we're good to have you here. Yeah. Well, um, Tom, we want to start right out, and and, and we kind of divided up these states, and I wanted to talk about Georgia. And, of course, I want to find out about the presidential race. So we'll take care of that first, but you know I've got other questions because we've got other races. <laughs> so uh, tell us right off the bat, how is the presidential race looking? Well, our final poll for president in Georgia, we have Biden with a two-point lead. And we've really been pretty uh, bullish on Biden in Georgia the entire year, really the entire election cycle. I was actually just looking back and reading an essay I wrote in July of 2019 about why Biden might win Georgia and North Carolina. And it's it's looking like that may end up holding up pretty well, even though 16 months before the election. So, uh, you know, the, the, the way the population's changing in Georgia is just making the state a lot more hospitable towards Democrats. Trump is still winning seniors in the state, but everybody under the age of 65, Biden has a pretty good advantage with. So, you know, two-point race, it certainly could still go either way, but I think the big-picture trend is toward Georgia probably being one of the country's core swing states over the next decade. I don't think it's uh, any longer going to be viewed as sort of you know, a, a reach for Democrats. I think it's going to be uh, seen as a, as a state that in most elections is going to be competitive for Democrats. Well, tell me this. Uh, for a long time, and of course the state is changing, so it's not quite like it used to be, but now 30-30 is like Democrats' done deal. If the Democrat can get 30% of the white vote and 30% of the vote is African-American, that's a you know done deal winning formula now. What right now do you think – what percentage do you think Biden is going to get of the white vote? Uh, I think 30 does sound about right, and I think that certainly having 30 percent of the electorate be African-American would go a long way. And I think the other thing that we've seen that's sort of interesting through the early voting period is that there's record turnout from Asian and Latino voters in Georgia beyond just uh, the white and African-American vote. And we know that both of those demographics are going very strongly for Democrats. It used to be that Uh, Asian voters were pretty competitive between the Democrats and Republicans, but certainly over the last two years, Asian voters have gotten more to the point where they're voting 70, 75 percent Democratic. Uh, And they're going to play a huge role, especially in a lot of the key legislative races in the Atlanta suburbs that are going to determine how much of a bite Democrats can put into the Republican uh, majority in the state House of Representatives. When you get up into some of those districts, you really have Asian voters accounting uh, for a pretty significant share of the electorate in a lot of places. 
Yes, it was. I remember a few months ago you did a poll that included Brian Kemp's approval rating, and it broke out Asian Americans in Georgia, and he had a zero percent approval rating. And I texted <laughs> you about that because I was like, I kind of felt bad for him. I at least want him to have, you know, maybe uh, one Asian person in his state that supports him. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into these Senate races. Um, I, I'll tell you this. The one that's kind of just clean, you know, David Perdue running for re-election against John Ossoff. Of course, there is a libertarian candidate. We know in Georgia that can always mean a runoff. Um, before, I didn't feel as bullish, but I think John Ossoff had his best week of his political career this past week um, with the debate and a few other things that happened. Um, where do you have that race? Well, there's a couple interesting things going on with that. I mean, first of all, we have Ossoff up by three points. We also have the Libertarian at 3%. So that sort of puts it right on the line between whether Ossoff can avoid a runoff or not. And we actually uh, took all the undecideds on our Senate poll, and we said, okay, if you're voting for Biden, we'll just assume you're going to vote for Ossoff. And if you're voting for Trump, we'll just assume you're going to vote for Purdue. And when you did that reallocation, it put Ossoff at 49.9%. So getting sent into a runoff, just missing avoiding it by one-tenth of a point. Now, obviously, polls aren't so precise that you can really say with any sort of authority that Ossoff's at 49.9%, but it just shows how close to the line it might be. Uh, but there's a couple of interesting things to think about with the, the libertarian support. First of all, his support's on the decline. We had him at 4% earlier in the month. Now he's down at 3% in our statewide poll. And we also did a poll in Georgia's 7th Congressional District this week, which is, of course, very competitive for the House race. And the Libertarian was only at percent there. Uh, and Ossoff was up by six points in that district, which I think sort of just uh, reinforces uh, his statewide position, given that uh, that was a district I believe Trump won by six points, and now you have Ossoff up there uh, by six points. So that's somewhere where the ground's shifting very rapidly. Uh, but if the Libertarian only gets 2%, like in Georgia 7, that certainly would greatly increase Ossoff's chances of uh, being able to not only get more votes than Purdue on Tuesday night, but uh, to also get just over that 50% mark and not have to go to a runoff. Yes, and now let me ask you about the special Senate election with so many candidates, two Republicans that are just gnawing and clawing to get in to that second spot because it looks like, including your poll, Raphael Warnock is going to get the first spot. You had Kelly Loeffler up, but then I'll see just as many polls that have Doug Collins up because they're within just a few points of each other. What do you think on um, who gets in that runoff with Raphael Warnock? You know, it's just really hard to say because it's, it's sort of a funny dynamic. It's basically the, the dynamic between the two of them is like trying to poll a Republican primary within the general electorate. So it's always harder to poll primaries than normal sort of elections because people don't have strong ties to – either candidate. So they're, you know, sort of choosing between those two rather than, uh, you know, just voting along party lines like you would usually be doing in a Senate election. Uh, but then beyond that, it's, a, you know, it's, it's sort of a form of a primary election where everybody's voting. 
so I definitely, even though we did have Lawler uh, ahead of Collins by a fair amount, uh, I don't necessarily take that to the bank. Uh, certainly, when you look at the totality of the polls, it may end up being pretty closely between pretty close between the two of them. Uh, and that's just a dynamic that's sort of hard to figure out because a lot of Republicans may just not know how they're going to uh, vote on that yet. Um, and some of that may be more sort of late movement. But uh, I do think Reverend Warnock will end up between 45 and 50 percent. Uh, and one thing that's been sort of interesting about his campaign is he has a very good favorability rating while both Lawler and Collins have abysmal uh, favorability ratings because they've just been so busy gouging each other's eyes out and they've just left Warnock alone. Uh, So certainly uh, once we get into the runoff, the, the, um, the negative ads will start on Warnock and we'll probably see some of that popularity start to abate. And even though runoff polls right now have Warnock ahead by about 10 points, I'm pretty confident that's going to end up being more like a toss-up once we actually get into it. But, uh, you know, it's sort of funny to think that uh, even maybe six weeks ago at this point, people were talking about if Democrats were going to get shut out of the runoff in this election. Uh, And certainly the races have evolved to a point where it's a very different story than that. Yes, the people that did his media campaign, I don't think a lot of people trusted him, but when he went on TV, those ads were spot on um, and and doing so well. Well, let me ask you about a totally different state, because we can't ask you about all of them, but the state of Iowa, we saw a bunch of polls showing Joe Biden was doing quite well, you know, not blowing the thing out, but, you know, margin of error, close. Teresa Greenfield, I think I saw her as up as much as four points. Then the uh, Seltzer poll came out. We know that's not your work, but it made everybody worry. Tell us the public policy polling perspective. Well, the last statewide poll we did there was a couple weeks ago, and at that time we had the Senate race tied, and in the presidential race Biden was up by a point. Uh, So certainly the state looked about as competitive as it could be. Uh, And we actually did a couple House polls in Iowa last week, and Iowa's first and second congressional districts. Those are both places that Trump won by four in 2016, and we found Biden up by eight or nine points in both of those districts, so a 12- or 13-point shift. Uh, And that would certainly suggest that Biden perhaps is ahead in Iowa, even though it was just half the state, but he was doing – very well in that half of the state. So uh, I think that uh, even though Ann Selzer is a great pollster, uh, even great pollsters get polls wrong sometimes. Uh, and I will be surprised if the picture in Iowa is as bad for Democrats as her poll suggested. Um, it, it was sort of a roller coaster last night seeing those come out. You know, first at seven comes the Senate race, and Ernst is up by four. And I actually started saying in my head, well, I hope Trump's up by a lot in this poll, because if the presidential race was tied and Ernst was up by four, you'd really think Greenfield was in trouble. But if Trump was up by a lot and Ernst was up by four, that might make you think there was just something wrong with the entire poll and the entire poll was too Republican. So I was actually thrilled to see Trump up by seven when that came at 730, because that said to me, okay, this whole poll's messed up. And then come the House races at eight. And it says that Abby Finkenauer in Iowa one is down by 15. Well, we have her up by six. That's going to be off by 20 points. 
uh, in that in the open seat in Iowa's second congressional district that the Democrat was down by one. Well, we have her up by eight or nine. Uh, so sort of as more and more that poll came out, it went from, oh, this is really bad to, uh, really bad for Democrats to, oh, this might have just been a, a poll that didn't turn out that well in terms of its accuracy. You know, may, may, maybe uh, 48 hours from now it'll turn out that she was right and everybody else was wrong, but uh, I'm a little skeptical that'll prove to be the case. Yep, everybody, all y'all pollsters, you've turned in your math papers, and the teacher, the American people, will grade them on Tuesday. So <laughs> we'll see who's right. I'm going to pass this over to Catherine for some more great questions. Catherine? Hi, Tom. It's so great to have you hey, on, Ken. especially so close to the election. Well, it's good to be with you. I, of, of course, you know, I have to ask about my home state of Michigan, and I know you and I have a have a connection there, so... I'm just. I want to. I wanted to ask you about the presidential race and about um, Peters. And is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Michi- what what oh. we think is going to happen there? Yeah, Michigan is a state that sort of uh, exemplifies how we think the race is trending in this last week, which is that we think the late undecideds are moving to Biden. Uh, And Michigan sort of shows that well. For most of the year, we had Biden up by six in Michigan. It was pretty consistent that Biden would be up by six, Biden would be up by six. Well, last week we had to do two different polls in Michigan. uh, And in those two polls, Biden was up by seven and was up by eight. That's not a big movement from six, but it was, you know, different than what we had been finding all year. And then when we went in for our very last Michigan poll, just Thursday and Friday of this week, uh, Biden was all of a sudden up by 10. So after being up by six for most of the year in our polling, Biden was up by 10. And that's the biggest lead we've had for him in our polling all year. Uh, And in general, stuff that we polled this week, uh, Biden was doing about two points better than he had done uh, the previous time we had polled those places. It's always possible that anything you find in the last week of the campaign that's different is just statistical noise. Uh, But we did somewhat consistently find that two-point or so boost for Biden in the places that we were polling this week. The Senate race in Michigan is is basically exactly the same as the presidential race, and that's what we found for most of the year. So Gary Peters is up 10 points on John James, just the same as Biden is 10 points up on Trump. Uh, this was the second best pickup opportunity for Republicans in the U.S. Senate this year was Michigan, uh, and that, it's just not going to happen for them. So the, they're just going to have to be happy with a probable pickup in Alabama, and that's going to be as much as they get on the offense front. Well, I, that's that's good news. You know, I when I lived in Michigan, it was relatively Democratic most of the time, and so it's nice to see us see the state swaying back that way it makes me feel better <laughs> that's all <laughs> I, I have for now but i'm pa- so i'm passing it to tim it may come back around to me but we'll see. sure thanks mm-hmm. good evening tim? tom how are you doing sir good it's good to hear hear your voice tim yeah and by the way the barking that you heard was not me but a 100 pound labrador that was barking at nothing in particular that's a disclaimer I wanted to get out of the way right quick 
Well, probably um, barking at all those Trump people in Northwest Georgia today. Yeah, thank thank goodness they're beside Dave, David's house and not mine. <laughs> but at any rate, I'm going to jump around the country with you a little bit. Look, Democrats always say this is the year in Texas, and then there's a nine or ten point race, election after election after election after election, until we got to Beto O'Rourke. That was something different. And now, all of a sudden, we are seeing what we are seeing in Texas. What do you say? How did this change come about so quick? And if Texas is a toss-up, is John Cornyn sweating down there? Sure. Well, a couple of things have contributed to making Texas so politically competitive. Uh, One thing is that a lot of the – uh, Republican voters in the urban and suburban areas of the state are very well educated, uh, and those mm-hmm. are the kind of Republican voters who have sort of shied away from Trump and you know just don't want to have anything to do with him. They may still think of themselves as Republicans, and they may go right back to voting Republican in four years, but a lot of well-educated Republican-leaning voters in Texas do not care for Trump. So that's one piece mm-hmm. of it. The state is becoming, and this is a similar story to Georgia, the state is just becoming increasingly uh, racially diverse. The white share of the electorate keeps going down, down. Latino shares up, Asian shares up, African-American shares probably steady. But in general, you see, uh, you know, just a lot more non-white voters participating. And for the most part, those folks are voting Democratic. And there's also a similar generational divide to Georgia, where younger voters are considerably more likely to be progressive and older voters are very Republican. So uh, that's kind of the dynamic happening there. Uh, Our last Texas poll had Biden ahead 50 to 48. So certainly the state could still go either way. But one thing that sort of reinforces my feeling that Biden does have a very serious chance of winning the state is that we've been doing a lot of polling at the district level in Texas, polling both uh, in congressional races and also uh, Democrats have a very serious chance to flip the Texas uh, State House of Representatives, and we've done a ton of polling in those districts. Uh, I expect that Democrats are going to pick up at least three seats in the U.S. House this year, the uh, 22nd District, uh, the 20. Third district and the 24th district, uh, I think all will flip. Um, I think those are all open seats. Yeah, they're all open seats. So the Republican incumbents retired, and uh, I think Democrats are going to pick those up. But one thing that's been a very consistent trend across all that district polling in Texas is that in those places, Biden is doing about 15 points better than Hillary Clinton did. Uh, And since Trump only won the state by nine. He's doing 15 points worse. That extrapolates out to losing the state by six. Now, it happens that the districts that we're polling are well-educated suburban districts where there's going to be more of a shift than there's going to be in the less populated parts of the state that are less educated and much more unilaterally Republican. So I certainly don't think Biden's going to win the state by six. Uh, But we are just seeing, not just in our statewide polling, but also in that district-level stuff, quite a shift. Uh, my feeling when it comes to the Senate race between Cornyn and Hagar uh, is that probably the presidential race and the Senate race are going to run within a couple points of each other. I think there's probably some Republicans who don't like Trump but who will still vote Cornyn. So I do think that Cornyn will be in better shape than Trump, 
Uh, and then it just comes down to what happens for president and whether uh, a big Biden win by more than we maybe expect brings Hagar along for the ride. You know, if Biden ends up mm-hmm. winning Texas by three or four points, I think there's a pretty decent chance that Hagar wins by one or two points. If Biden ends up losing Texas or just winning by a very small margin, I would guess that Cornyn would probably get reelected. But uh, I do think that this is a Senate race that maybe has not gotten as much attention as it deserves, uh, because I do just think that, uh, you know, for the most part, how people vote is pretty well correlated with how they vote at the top of the ticket. So if there's a chance for Democrats in the presidential race, that means there's a chance for Democrats in the Senate race, too. Okay, now this is the second time um, during this interview that you have mentioned the Asian vote. Now, I do know that that Asians are the fastest-growing minority segment uh, of the American population. Are you seeing that in your data also with voters? Uh, Definitely in a few different specific places. Uh, We're particularly Mm -hmm. seeing uh, Asian voters going to places like the Atlanta suburbs, the Dallas suburbs, the Houston suburbs. Uh, I think there's going to be a new congresswoman from the Phoenix suburbs who's Indian American. Uh, And one of the Uh new congress members from Texas is also Indian American, likely new congress members. Uh, So definitely – you know, it's the the Asian vote is still a small share of the overall national vote. I think it's, you know, maybe two percent or something like that. But in a lot of mm-hmm. these fast growing suburban districts, it's more like ten, twenty, sometimes even thirty percent. Wow. So uh, it, it's definitely something that's going to be a big dynamic, at least in some specific places. Okay. Now you also uh, have kept reporting. Uh, that in multiple congressional districts now held by Republicans and in multiple states around the country, that you are seeing some remarkable findings that keep repeating themselves, especially with President Trump, and they seem to be consistent. What are the numbers showing about how Trump is running overall in these districts, these red districts, compared to four years ago? Well, there are a lot of congressional districts, especially in the suburbs of major cities, that maybe voted for Romney by 15 in 2012, Uh, Mm -hmm. And then they only voted for Trump by nine or ten. So even as the rest of the country was getting more Republican from 2012 to 2016, these places were getting more Democratic, not Democratic, but more Democratic. Uh, And now a lot of those kinds of places that went Romney plus 15 to Trump plus nine are now coming in at more like Biden plus five or six. So places that it just would not even have been imaginable for a Democrat to win in eight years ago, they really are starting to win in. Uh, So that has major implications for the presidential race, but it certainly also has major implications for the U.S. House. Uh, Democrats had such a huge gain in the U.S. House in 2018 that you probably would have thought to some extent, well, they picked up the stuff that they're going to be able to pick up. Uh, And then this year they would just be having to play defense. But we have had Democrats over the last couple months leading in 22 different Republican-held congressional districts. Wow. Now, 
That doesn't mean that Democrats are going to pick up 22 seats in a lot of those districts. They're only up by one or two points, so it could certainly still go to the Republicans. And there's also a handful of uh, Democratic-held districts that Republicans might have a pretty good chance to win in this year. Uh, But if you made me put an exact number on it, I think Democrats are going to probably pick up about 15 seats in the House, even on top of everything that they picked up in uh, 2018. So they will be going into the next Congress with a a very robust majority, at least in the House. Maybe more of those close races will end up going in the Republicans' direction, but I'll be very surprised if Democrats don't at least pick up 10 seats. Well, I want to ask you about one more place, and and I I think it's because Governor Bullock is one of my favorite Western politicians. Um, And I've been watching the Montana race all year and thinking, oh, there's just no way. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing the presidential race, according to 538, is like a five-point race. And then you poll uh, Montana, and you find basically uh, a toss-up. Is that the closest U.S. Senate race in the country now that you're seeing? It may very well be. Um, we have polled – I'm trying to think how many times we've polled that race this year. We've polled the Montana Senate race seven or eight times, uh, and we've never had either candidate ahead by more than two points. Uh, wow. Sometimes Bullock's up by a little. Sometimes Danes is up by a little. More than anything else, is tied. One poll we did uh, – this wasn't the very most recent poll we did, but uh, a poll we did earlier in October that I thought really summed up the closeness of the race was – in the horse race, Bullock was at 48, Danes was at 48. And when you asked each of their approval ratings, Bullock had a net plus four approval rating. Danes had a net plus four approval rating. So they wow. both had the exact same <laughs> approval spread and the exact same share of the vote. So I do think it's likely to be very close, uh, but certainly the fact that the presidential race is tighter than might have been thought is probably a good sign for Bullock. And um, another thing to note uh, is that to some extent in 2018, when John Tester was running for reelection, the polls underestimated his level of support. He ended up doing a little Mm -hmm. bit better than the polls thought he was going to do. So if it is truly a 50-50 sort of race, uh, that kind of thing might end up helping Bullock to get over the finish line. And, and Montana, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but but it's a state that historically is known for splitting its vote uh, in in a lot of uh, national races and then down ballot races in the state. Is that right? Yep, and it is also very well known for swinging strongly against whatever party's in power. So in oh. 2008, in the 2008 presidential race. Uh, Obama almost won the state. He only lost by, Uh I think, three, uh, which was really Mm -hmm. quite surprising that Obama came that close. But then when Democrats were in the White House for the next two presidential elections, it went all the way from Obama only losing by three in 2008 to Obama then losing by 10 in 2012, and then Hillary lost by 20 in 2016. So it swung very strongly against the party in the White House in those two elections. But now, whereas you say – the poll average only has uh, Trump winning by five or six. It's now swung strongly back in the other direction against 
now the Republican holder of the White House. So uh, Montana has much bigger shifts from election to election than a lot of other states. Wow. And with that, I'm going to send it back to David. David? Well, uh, Tom, you've been so most gracious to your time. I have a uh, quick question to end us out with. Alaska Senate race. We know it's not a true Democrat. It's Al Gross, an independent that's looking to um, you know, flip that seat with Dan Sullivan. How's that looking? Uh, Dan Sullivan has the advantage, but it is close. Uh, we have done four polls on that race, and in two of them, Dan Sullivan was up by five, and one of them, Dan Sullivan, was up by three, and we did have one that was actually tied. Uh, but you average, an, you average them out, and it gives Sullivan somewhere between a three- and four-point lead. So I do think that he is favored, but uh, it could be a situation where it's close enough for Gross to end up pulling off an upset. Um, one thing that I think probably didn't help his cause uh, was that they actually have him listed on the ballot now only as the Democrat. Uh, they They made a rule change in Alaska – that made it so that the candidates for House and Senate, who are independents, but who also won the Democratic nomination, the ballot was supposed to call them independents on the ballot. It would say they were the Democratic nominees, but it also would have said right on the ballot that they were independents. And they changed the law so that the ballot doesn't say anything about them being independents, and it just says that they're Democrats. So if they were going to drive any advantage from being independents rather than Democrats, uh, in the House and Senate races, that probably got taken out of the equation a little bit uh, by virtue of taking that designation off their ballot language. Yes. Well, um, Tom, we just want to thank you so much. We know you may uh, have a lot more analysis to do. If people want to follow you or read anything between now and Election Day and then after Election Day, tell our listeners where they can do that. Uh, best place is our website at publicpolicypolling.com or our Twitter handle at pppolls. Yes, sir. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thank yeah, you, thank you all very much and uh, look forward to talking to you soon, hopefully in a new administration. That's right. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Tom Jensen, Public Policy Polling. If you can't tell, they poll a lot. Um, and he has really released a lot of public polls in the past week. So look at that Twitter feed. Look at their site. They actually posted a good many of the October fo- uh, polls with cross tabs, with the questions. A lot of information there um, from Tom and his firm. Well, guys, I I cheated a lot. I got some information I needed from Tom. Uh, It's prediction time. We've got 10 minutes. We can go a minute or two over if we have to. Um, Presidentially, um, I I guess we can just – we don't have to do the Wyomings and the Massachusetts. We can talk about the states that maybe are going to flip. Tim, you you seem like you've put a lot into this. Do you want to go first? Okay, in the presidential race. Um, I've got Biden with 351 electoral votes and Trump with 187. I had Trump holding Iowa, Ohio, and Texas and losing the rest of the toss-up states. And Biden to win the popular vote by between 6 and 10 million votes. Yes. 
Uh, Catherine, before you make your predictions, they're currently playing Josh Groban duets to get the crowd fired oh, up. You're not going to do it like that. I don't want to picture that, okay? I guess it's safe to play a Canadian, right? I guess. <laughs> he probably doesn't like him either. Uh, they won't play the people that like him. No, no, no. They don't want to hear any of that. Yeah. Um, I, I am not as specific as Tim, I'll be honest. I uh, I think that Biden's going to win. Uh, I think it's going to be Thursday before we know for sure, have all the answers. And um, I think he's going to get over 300 uh, electoral votes, but I don't have a number. So that's my yeah. prediction. I think um, he'll get. He'll, I think he'll win by about six million. Um, if Hillary won by two, I think he's going to press that up to about a six million vote win. Um, you know, it's he's going to have the most votes of any candidate in one election. Uh, just based on the turnout we're seeing. Um, as far as I actually had a map, I did it for my cl- one of my two classes, my state politics class, and it wouldn't pull up on my phone. But I'm going to tell you, Tim, I'm going to steal your line. Landslides don't stop at state lines. I think he is going to flip mm-hmm. so many states. He is going to flip Georgia. He's going to flip Texas. He's going to flip the, the three Rust Belt states, and he's going to add Ohio to it. He's going to pull it out in Iowa. That was one state I was a little um, on the bubble about. That's why I got Tom's opinion. He's going to take care of Florida, North Carolina. Um, I think he's even going to go so far as to take states like Indiana and Missouri and put them in single digits. And he's going to gain across the board. People are going to be saying, wow, how did he do seven, eight, nine points better in Oklahoma and Kentucky? I mean, he's going to move this thing so far. That could even mean that he gets more than a six million vote win. But he's going to move almost every state in the union, and we're seeing the polls. I mean, I'm sending y'all Idaho polls. We're like, well, look at that movement. South Dakota polls. He's made movement. He's going to flip. I mean, he's going to like. I guess the next state that won't flip will be South Carolina. That, that's how thorough this thing's going to be. Because um, some of the states that are a little iffy on the polls, like Florida, they're just tough to poll, and that's just all there is to it. Um, let's go ahead and get to um, house races. Obviously, it's kind of tough to go to each little one. We can talk about some highlights or pick a few out. Catherine, did you have any in mind? I didn't really look at um, congressional districts. Um, okay. I could probably say something about a couple here in Georgia. Sure. Yeah. I think Lucy. I, yeah. I, do, I do think Lucy McBath is gonna is gonna keep her seat. I don't. I'm not worried about that. I'm a little bit worried about the seventh. I'm not. I'm not sure about Bordeaux and uh, whatever that doctor's name is. I, I, I'm Rich a little. Clark. Yeah, I'm a little less enthusiastic about that. I mean, I love Carolyn Bordeaux, but I just I'm a little less. Uh, optimistic about that one as than I am about Lucy McBath. But I think Nikki okay. is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw her candidate, uh, her opponent on um, a video, and she's a QAnon supporter. Um, she, oh, yeah. She's, oh, she's right. a, could hang out with um, Marjorie Green. Um, 
Tim, some house races. Well, in the seventh there, basically what you've got is Gwinnett versus Forsyth, right? Uh, I'm thinking Gwinnett may dominate. Uh, One-fourth of the Gwinnett population is now foreign-born. You talk about demographic changes of an earth-shattering nature. I think Bordeaux may pull this race out by uh, three to five points because two years ago, the margin uh, for Republicans holding the district was less than 500 people. Um, an- another one that we're looking at is up in the 2nd District in New Jersey. That's Jeff Van Drew's seat, the old party switcher. But I believe Amy Kennedy's going to beat him barely, uh, under five points, but I believe she'll win. Um, New York 11 is another one, but I believe Max Rose will win by a whisker, but I would not be at all surprised to see uh, Nicole Maliotakis win up there uh, because she ran for mayor in New York City. She's well known. The other one I want to mention, David, is is Minnesota's 2nd District. If the Democrats are really going to just lose one, and I think there's one they're going to lose, it's that one, Peterson's District, because he's barely been hanging on, and, and the shifts are against him there. The tides are against him. So that's that's my thoughts on the House races. Yes, and, and there are so many more, but with 435 of these, it's hard to keep up. Um, I do think we do the you know the daily double, and uh, Georgia, Lucy McBath wins. Not much problem there. I think Carolyn Bordeaux does win, win, and it's not a nail biter. I mean, she you know is single digits, but she clearly wins. Van Drew goes down. I agree there. I actually think the Staten Island district of Max Rose might be. A more difficult win than Colin Peterson. I think mm-hmm. Colin Peterson is going to win. I mean, if he doesn't win, I won't be absolutely floored. Um, but I think he'll win. I think he has more roots to that district. And, and and that Staten Island is just a. It seems like a different place. I've never been there, but I just get the idea that some of the um you know the the uh, policing issues, whereas that cut against the Republicans in a lot of places. I get the idea Staten Island's the kind of place where it might favor them. Um, and so that could put Max Rose in some trouble. That video I saw where some shoppers coming in just were very nasty to him. Now I know that's anecdotal and that gets you in trouble. I don't know enough about the picket, but I do think it was interesting the other week when we had a guest on that talked about Dan Crenshaw uh, being in trouble. I want to say it was Evan Scrimshaw, uh, yeah, Evan Scrimshaw of uh, Lean Toss-Up. I thought that was very interesting because once we get after this election, we talk about where the Republicans go from here. That's what I'm predicting. I think Dan Crenshaw is a part of that conversation if he survives. So that's one I'll be watching to see if Evan was on to something, uh, even though I don't really want to make a prediction on it because I don't feel like I have enough data. Um, well, let's get into some Senate races. Um Catherine, you don't have to pick them all, obviously, but uh, pick a few out you want to pick. Sorry, I had to unmute. I was started talking. You know, it's 2020. Um, well, I actually went through a list. Um, I guess the ones that are probably the most uh, controversial of my picks, I'll start with those. I think, uh, you know, I have some friends in Mississippi 
who have told me that there is so much enthusiasm around Mike Espy and around voting that I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I think Mike Espy wins. I know that's pretty outrageous, and I um I also think that um, this isn't controversial. I do think Kelly's gonna win in Arizona, um, especially after listening to. Uh, Tom, I'm going to say I think Peters is a pretty much a given in Michigan. Um, Collins is out. I'm sure that she's not going to win. And I've got more, but I'll let, let we'll go to Tim and let him pitch into. Okay. Well, um, as as far as the makeup of the next Senate, we're going to lose Jones in Alabama. That that's for yeah, certain. absolutely. Uh, I, I I think that um, we may be looking at an Ossoff-Purdue runoff now in this state. I didn't think that earlier. I think we may be looking at that now. Uh, I think that McSally, Gardner, Collins, Tillis are all going down, and I'm going to hold to Ernst going down too. Uh, And if, David, by the way, my electoral map plays out, then I'm going to say Lindsey Graham's going to barely survive. And if yours, of course, uh, comes to fruition, then Graham and a lot more people uh, in his situation are going to go down in flames. So there. Okay. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I do think Lindsey Graham holds on somehow. Um, mm-hmm. I, if, if that constitutional candidate was still – you know, on the ballot and didn't endorse, I mean, you know, he hadn't endorsed and in the race, uh, and they don't have a runoff situation. I think that would have been so incredible, uh, a, a smooth, and I still think it was a good move by the Harrison campaign. Um, but it, it just, it's just going to be tough in South Carolina. Um, as far as the flips, Tim, I am right on board with you. Ernst goes down, Tillis, um, Colorado, uh, Arizona flip. Please make me never have to listen to Susan Collins again in my life. Um, she goes down. Oh, God. That would be like torture having to listen to her speak. Um, yeah, I'm, Right now, she was speaking for Donald Trump at this rally, and I could hear it. I'd probably be inside the house. I'm trying to give you all reports of all the Elton John songs they've sung. Um, and, and so those are the ones. As, as far as Georgia, I think both races go into a runoff, and I'm going to tell you one more. I think Doug Collins makes the runoff. He didn't have the money, and Loeffler, with all that money and all those ads and all that spending, if she was going to win, she'd have taken him out, and she never could put him away. And that's why I think he is going to pull that out, and I bet we're going to find out that he spent a quarter of what she spent in this race, and it's just because they didn't like her. And I think Georgia's going to once again, and I texted y'all this, have a lot of soul searching to do. This is how many statewide candidates, this time with the incumbency t- a label of a, a woman candidate, a female candidate, that have lost in Georgia. Now, she was a flawed vessel, uh, to say the least. But this is something this state's got to wonder about, is why is a state that's, you know, futuristic and want to be as progressive as Georgia, they can't get this done uh, through primaries, through generals, through Republicans, through Democrats, that they keep um, turning out, uh, you know, turning away from female candidates. 
and, and it's something very curious to me um, when you've got states like Alabama right now that has a, a, a woman for governor. Um, but th- I think Loeffler is going to be ex-senator by Wednesday morning. Also, going back to something else, I think they're going to count the votes fast enough in enough states that we know. Um, I, I think North Carolina is going to count fast, and if Biden wins it, and Florida counts fast and Biden wins it, then it's not going to matter if Washington State you know, takes four weeks to count their votes. And so that's going to be hopeful for us because I think that is problematic. If every state in the nation was like Washington State, that's when Donald Trump will start crowing if that's the case. Catherine, you had some more Senate picks? Yeah, I agree with you about Collins and um, and Warnock. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think Loeffler's going to make the runoff, even with all that money she spent. Let's see. Um, I guess I had, I, I agreed with everybody. Oh, we didn't talk about. Did anybody talk about Montana? Yeah, Montana. No, nope, we didn't get there. I think, I think Bullock wins in Montana. Oh, that'd be nice. Wouldn't it be nice? It would oh, be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'll go ahead and say, since it's such a big rush, I'll pick Montana and I'll pick Alaska. That's why I asked him about Alaska. Tim? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on Montana, but Alaska, I, I don't think I don't think we pull that one out. Yeah, I don't either. That guy's got good ads, though. That that those ads he's run, he's got such a good story. Um, but, and Alaska's a, a uh, fun state. I wanted to comment, you said earlier about Warnock ads. I think his ads are so fantastic. I, you know, they I are. usually, mm-hmm. like, fast forward or go to something else or mute during com- political commercials, but I love watching his. I think they're absolutely brilliant. Who's ever doing them is doing a really good job. Yeah. His logo's okay. good. It's probably a little hard to see far away. But it's interesting looking and it's modern. I mean, somebody's really run a good closing campaign. Uh, Tim? Yes, I agree. Yeah. I I was going to ask a question. Ben, we're running over anyway. I wanted to ask both of you a question. We made our picks in the presidential race, but do you see a way that Donald Trump can win? That's my question. I, th- I think it's it's involving, you know, essentially what we would call cheating. I, I don't think he just gets enough votes. I think he has to, you know, put some shenanigans in like they invalidate, what, a tenth of the votes in Texas uh, through the drive-in mm-hmm. voting. Somehow they invalidate that. They, they come up with a bunch of the um, absentee ballots in Pennsylvania that weren't put in the right envelope and signed with the right signature, you know, and they go to court and they do all that. That's the only way. But if it's a big enough lead by Biden, that can't even work. Catherine? Yeah, you know, there's very little, there's very few paths for him to win. Um, mm-hmm. They talked a lot about this on um, the morning shows this morning. You know, it's basically Florida and Pennsylvania or Florida and North Carolina, but that's it. I mean, there's not any, whereas Biden has a lot more pathways to win. Um, But I agree that I think if they start going after, you know, proving that your signature is accurate and, 
if they have a bunch of, you know, poll watchers and absentee ballot watchers going for, you know, minutiae on the ballots, like the signatures. And, and it's been really hard to get answers about some of those things. Since we're going over, I'll tell a quick story about my ballot. So I voted early on October 14th at an early voting location where I've early voted many times before. And so the way this works now is on my voter page, you can check the status of your early voting under the absentee ballot status. So it wasn't showing. And it wasn't showing. And finally on Monday, I called the Fulton County Registration Office because that, you know, I vote in Fulton County. That seemed like the best place to start. And they couldn't really give me an answer. They were going to research it. They were going to figure it out by Wednesday. Well, they didn't call me on Wednesday. So I called them Wednesday afternoon and I was like, what's happening with this? You know, if I have to vote again or if I have to do something, I need to know. And they couldn't really answer. They said they'd check it. They'd, you know, send it to the chief and they'd check it. So then I called the DPG voter protection line and they couldn't really answer my question and then I was getting a little frustrated I'll be honest so then I um I I asked a couple of my friends and they said they'd see something on Facebook from Sarah Tyndall about it and she explained that it's two systems that count the vote and and put the vote on the MVP and that it's very possible that if as long as you printed and scanned your ballot that it was counted and I had done that so I felt comfortable. Well, then I got a call back from voter from one of the places, and they asked me about it, and we went through it. And then it had been cured. It was the MVP was updated. But you know, I was very persistent about this. So I, I just think there's a lot of um, this is another type of voter suppression. This constantly worrying about whether your vote was was counted you know everybody's worried about it whereas before i don't know about you guys but i never really thought that my vote wasn't going to get counted ever yeah it shouldn't take all that (laughs) it shouldn't take all that somebody should have been able to tell me that there were two these two systems and that it would be eventually updated but anyway um so i think that is the way that they'll try to if they're if it's close, that's the way they'll try to win by, you know, trying to get, trying to eliminate ballots by these minutia. That's what I think. Yeah, but they'll have to really do that targeted, and they'll have to get the right ones. And of course, we know, unfortunately, they have to go through the procedures of, oh, who are the most likely to vote? People of color. In Georgia, and if they, you know, in, a, in whatever southern state. Um, well, guys, uh, been a great show. Thanks again to Tom. Uh, we'll see how our predictions come out when we have our post-election show next Sunday. Wendy Davis is scheduled to be our guest, and we'll have her to tell us, um, kind of give her thoughts on what happened, and probably at least one runoff election in the state of Georgia. Looking ahead to that. Okay. Until next week. Good night. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united.